The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Flight podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. This week's guest is Gareth Fallon, someone who grew up in Ireland fishing the Boyne, Carrow, Deal and other rivers and lakes around the country. But since the 1990s, he has been in England working in publishing and design. The last few years, however, has seen him combine his love of fishing, writing and publishing to create the very popular fishing quarterly magazine called Fallon's Angler, is dedicated to long-form writing about every type of angling, with the likes of Chris Yates and Kevin Parr featuring in each issue. Garrett is also the son of Niall Fallon, an Irish Times journalist who wrote the well-respected Fly Fishing for Irish Trout in 1983, and we speak to Garrett about his father's influence growing up and his own memories of fishing in Ireland. And Tom, before we hear from Garrett, it's a fascinating interview as he's someone who has, I suppose, really approached angling from the question of why rather than just the how. Yeah, it was really great to talk to him. And you said, like, his approach to it is fantastic. Uh, I was really looking forward to this initially um, because one of the first books I read was his father's book, um, Niall Fallon's book. Uh, but it was funny, and that's how we go into that as well. That, that was fascinating. But to hear him talk and his approach to it, but also as well for somebody and I really admire this, you, you can sense he's gotten to do something that he wants to do. And he stood back and he said, yeah, no, I really enjoy this. And this comes across, he, he, you know, the passion he has for, as he says, reading things that come to life for him. This was amazing. You know, and this, and this, is, this is what he wants to do. I, I thought, I said, fair play to you. You know, you're doing what you want to do. And he's so enthused about it. And from something else, it's not just somebody who's, let's say, decided to go fishing. Like somebody could say to me, oh, you've decided to go fishing. But no, he, he's approached something, another side of it, a side that he loves, the whole literature side of it, the whole thing about angling, of, of what he gets from angling. And, and he's getting other people to put that forward as well. Uh, I thought, brilliant, yeah. really good. And It's funny, actually, because... If you think, because I was thinking about actually, like if you think about a lot of the interviews, say that we might do, they're with guides, you know, like yourself mm. or, you know, yeah, 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 people, you know, who are competition anglers, people who have dedicated a significant part of their life to fishing and, you know, maybe have earned money to, it might necessarily be full time, but it's, it's a central part of their life. Whereas, you know, Garrett and, you know, somebody like myself, it's angling's not. But there's a love of it. And what I love about what Garrett has done is that he was able to bring that love of it through another way, i.e. the writing. But it's funny. I actually think there's a, like you'll hear it in the interview when he talks about his father, because we, we asked him quite a lot about his father, Niall, because he was obviously so well known for the, for the fly fishing uh, in Ireland. And there's a beautiful line he says at the end about his father that he 
that they found the, 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 the papers, you know, drafts of novels and, and short stories that his father had written, never published them. And, he, and I asked him about, was he an angler or a writer? And he says he was probably a writer, first and foremost. You know, and, that, and that just came through in the angling. And I actually got that with Garrett. I thought I really got that sense of here was somebody, you know, he worked in publishing design. Fishing was just a constant in his life that he was able to bring this out then through the writing of Fallon's Angler. And it's, it's, you know, it's testament to his love of both. I think that, um, you know, like you said, shines through and it was the passion for it. And, but I think it's something deeper. It's, I think, it, yeah, I, I was talking about I, I, like Haunted by Waters, my book, it just reminded me, Garrett kind of approached it and I really identified it when I was chatting to Garrett, like, you know, I'd have, I, I could see that for your tone. It was like, I was listening to Kindred Spirits. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You know, for that, I was sitting back and I was, because uh, the two of you were completely engrossed because it's, it's, it's something that really gets both of you going, you yeah. know, the chance, because you, you write, but you're writing about fishing <laughs> and what it does for you. Yeah. Not, not the, not the actual technicalities of it, yeah. but yeah, it re- you know, what it does for you, what it does for the soul or, you know, yeah. what you get from yeah, that's what it is. yeah, that was it exactly like, and that's you know, and that's you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Fallon's Ang- or Fallon's Anger, the quarterly, like, and I'd recommend if anybody you know you're into the kind of longer form type writing, and it, it's not yeah. life, it covers every type of fishing, you know. Um, yeah, that's the interesting thing, which I think is good. I, I think it's really good. I mean, like we we're talking earlier on there about the old Irish angler. Um, well, I don't know when we were talking about it. And the nice thing about the Irish angler when it was been produced was. It covered, it wasn't just fly fishing. So if you were a fly fisher, you got to read a bit about other things, you know, you know, things like, uh, you know, sea fishing, shore fishing, uh, course fishing, the pike fishing. It was great. It was, it was nice like that. And I think that comes across with what um, Gareth is doing as well. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> you summed it well, kindred spirits. There was something there, like I just kind of. Oh, definitely. I, I, geez, I just, I just. <laughs> Back. Yeah, I was just about let him off. It was great. It was great. I was loving it. Well, I, I hope people, I hope people get a sense of, and even if you're not as into it, I, I do hope the kind of passion comes through because you know people get into. But it. it's interesting. I, I meant to say it to Garrett, and you just brought it up there when we we're talking to him. It's funny. It, Niall definitely was a writer first because I, I read the book when we were going. Uh, when I was aware of this, I, I opened the book again and I read it and. It's the way he's formatted the book. There's a lot of technical information in it, and it, there's chapters of what you need and what you do. And I get the sense, and when I was because I read it in secondary school, I I, I lapped those bits up because I wanted to know what I needed. You know, what was the nylon I needed? What else did I need? What did I do? But now that I read it now, I get the sense that Nile didn't really want to write about that. But it was sort of somebody said, you know, what you should do put in a bit about what you need. But he put it in and he did it and he did a good job in it. But the bits that he, re, you know, and they come across, it's like when he, the bit you read about uh, when he catches the big fish. Yes. You know, when, it, when you know, the words start flowing, you know. And you can hear the uh, publisher going, no, cut, cut, <laughs> more on the nylon, please. Yes, yes. Tip a diameter. We need yeah, to know about yeah. tip a diameter. Forget about that poetic nonsense. <laughs> Nobody's, none of those anglers are into that. And actually, um, just before we hear from Garrett on that, uh, you'll hear him, uh, we mentioned a bit, is Niall mentioned um, recordings of tapes with Gillies from Connemara. And I've subsequently, and we mentioned in the interview, I've subsequently followed it up with, with Garrett. And he says he thinks 
there might be a, a drawer full of of these tapes uh, back in the in the old home back in Ireland. So hopefully, you know, next time he's over, you know, he's going to have a look. So you know, I want first dibs on that, Garrett, if you're listening. <laughs> That, that could be that could be so good. That would be brilliant. Wouldn't it be a gold mine. Really? Yeah. So um, we'll we'll wait for that one. But look, you get to hear um, Gareth's story um, and also about his father Niall uh, and his memories of Ireland. And like I said, hopefully um, you know you get that sense of kind of what fishing means to him and how that's combined with his love of riding and how he's come to uh, establish and set up you know, the very popular Fallon's Angler magazine. So here is Gareth Fallon. My first home was on Loch Carib, on the shores of Loch Carib and in Tarard, um, where my father had a boat. Um, but I, you know, I barely remember that. I have some sort of old dreams about sort of uh, very sort of wide open spaces and dog kennels, weirdly, because we also ran a dog kennels when we were there. And um, and so I just got these sort of echoes of of, um, of boats and, and, and the lock in the background. And, and we, we, we returned there. Um, many times over the years. But from there, we'd actually moved to Kildare and then from Kildare to County Meath. And it was County Meath um, where I kind of settled and my family home was still there. So we were brought up on the on the banks of the River Deal, uh, which is a beautiful limestone stream that um, flows into the River Boyne. And the River Boyne sort of also flows around the back of the fields. Uh, and kind of in between all that, there's a, there's the Royal Canal and there's a, there's a lake and, and various other things with great access to to sort of the West Mead Lakes as well. So I just remember my, my dad, like he kind of had a um, had an arrangement with my mum. My mum was like, we had four acres of fields at the back and she was allowed to ride the horses and my father was allowed to fish and neither of them crossed over. Um, so the Secret to a happy marriage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Secret to a happy marriage, yeah. Yeah, so we spent an awful lot of time, you know, roaming the fields ourselves when our parents were off doing their own kind of things, which was kind of fantastic in, in many ways. So did dad. you grow up with fishing then? Was it just Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, my, my dad was, um, you know, fishing for him was, was you know, um, you could kind of tell his mood because he was a very kind of busy guy. And when he was really stressed, uh, he would go off on his own up the river. And, and so he would literally walk out of the house sort of 250, 300 metres up, up to the deal and he'd fish there. Um, and if the fishing wasn't, it, that would be just a sort of short jaunt and they're fantastic uh, wild brown trout there, absolutely beautiful fish. And, you know, uh, we used to see sort of salmon runs and elder runs up the weir and stuff like that. And, um, but, uh, but then if he would go sort of further afield as well, there was some fantastic fishing on, again, on the deal uh, and, and the Boyne. So when he kind of had more time for himself, he'd kind of might do a wider trip, but the deal was always kind of his first port of call. Um, and, uh, and then occasionally he would he would get us involved, you know, when he had a little bit more time. But generally it was a kind of um, it was something he did to kind of, I don't know, to keep his mind in the right kind of place and just to find that kind of personal space that we all kind of need. You know. What what did he do, actually? What what did he do, Garrett? Uh, well, he was a, he was a journalist. So he, he worked for the Irish Times. And I think at one point he was um, editor for special reports and as well as editor for tourism. So but he, he traveled. He traveled the world. Uh, you know, uh, I remember him sort of going away for sort of several weeks at a time and coming back with quite exotic gifts. At the time, I thought they were exotic, but invariably they'd be some some coins from somewhere. And of course, you know, the coins would have a hole in them. And I think this is the best thing since sliced bread. But actually, it was just a change from the bottom of his pocket. You know, and uh, or, the, or there might be something else like, like that. There'd be a, a sort of, you know, an Indian sword or, you know, a Texas, you know, I remember he brought a sort of um, I remember him going to Cuba, actually, and bringing back a stuffed frog. You know, 
uh, and a sort of sugarcane machete and various other kind of things, you know. But um, but I think that the kind of the thing he was most famous for was he he um he was one of the first I think he was the first Western journalist to go into Cambodia after it was um it was occupied by the Khmer Rouge and he uh he was there for I think a couple of weeks and then um, this was the time before mobile phones and, and my mum went to um Dublin Airport to pick him up and uh, he wasn't on the flight and so she was a bit frantic and, and rang the Irish Times. And I don't know whether it was Douglas Gageby at the time who was editor, it might well have been, because this was sometime in the 1970s, sort of early 1970s. And he said, well, it appears that he wasn't, like, he wasn't on the flight. So it was like, we're frantically kind of trying to find out where he was. And um, it turned out that he and um, and the photographer he was with were um, were invited, uh, in inverted commas, to stay a while um, in the Khmer Rouge camp. And um, and so they did. So they stayed there until they were told that they didn't have to stay there anymore. And so it was a little, a little bit longer, like a, a week or two, whatever. And then he came back and um, with sort of a lot of stories and um, about how the Khmerish camp was run. And, you know, and, and there were, I remember seeing pictures of him. I used to have them up on my wall of him with sort of holding an AK-47 in his hand while there was a whole group of kind of young lads, you know, ranging from, you know, 20s down into basically seven or eight holding bazookas, you know, rifles, you know, automatic machine guns, you name it. I, of course, I thought this was fantastic, but, you know, actually, when later on, you know, I also found the pictures of um, of the bodies of the, the dead that they'd had to photograph as well. So it was a kind of wake-up call, and I kind of realised that, you know, okay, this is why a man needs to go fishing, you know, when he, comes, when he, when he sees that, and that's part of his job. Um, which obviously is not doing that all the time, but to see that at all would need that. It would mean that yeah, plenty of plenty of time at the bank is needed to kind of get your head around it, you know. Um, so I, I I kind of understood from that moment why he he did like to spend a bit of time away on his own, you know. And and did you grow up then like just you know with worms or whatever like just on, on the <laughs> riverbank, you know yourself just yeah often? yeah I did yeah because there were perch um, in in the deal. Uh, and uh, there was a lovely old sort of stone bridge on this avenue up to the up to the manor. We were the lodge uh, to a manor, and we were unusual. There was an unusual lodge in that it wasn't inside the gates, wasn't a typical gate lodge, but it was built as a hunting lodge, a hunting and fishing lodge. And so we used to just literally walk across the road and up through the gates and along the avenue, and then was the bridge there and a weir just above the bridge, and you could fish into the weir, you know, in the fast water occasionally, and you might get, you might get a trout or whatever like that, but generally the bridge was where you would fish and you'd catch eels, gudgeon, perch, always kind of small perch. And then occasionally there'd be a big trout. And, and then depending on, on the kind of time of year, you'd always kind of put your head over the, the sort of the side of the bridge and look down. Cause there was always one side that was in shade and one side that was in sun, you know what it is. And, and there's always, it's one of those sort of bridges with two arches to it. And, you know, and, and the sort of the water surges through one arch and goes very sort of slowly through the other. So you get this mix of water, you know, and I remember one of my mates come running down into the house and saying, you've got to see this, uh, come up to the, to, the, uh, to the bridge. And I did. And there was this, there were two massive salmon. I mean, they were, they were enormous things. And, and where, where we would normally catch perch, but yeah, but that was where my dad, my dad brought me there because um, he, he could see that me and my friends were sort of uh, we were kind of trying to get our heads around fishing and then we were probably, you know, seven or eight or whatever. And uh, he just brought me up one night with a rod, you know, a hook, a worm, you know, a weight on the hook. And, and that was it, you know, and um, I caught this thing 
thought it was, you know, absolutely fantastic. And then it, one of its spines stuck in my fingers and you know, that, that was kind of it, you know, but, but that was, that was just the beginning of it. So, so once I kind of, you know, knew how to do that, then I was just off, you know, I think I used, a, I used an old, you know, boat fishing rod, like, I, I mean, a, like a sea boat fishing rod, you know, and, um, and, and really thick line and whatever. I mean, my friends and I would cobble stuff together and, and just go, just go around and explore. But yeah, generally it was perch and worm, and then it graduated from there to probably spinning, you know, and um, and then onto 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 the fly. You know, he used to take us. Um, obviously, fly fishing was a bit different because you know, it was super skillful. You know, to, compared to us, like literally sitting there with just feeling the line in your fingers. But fly fishing just it seemed like a you know quite a hard thing to do. But he he started us off by taking us to the lakes, like somewhere like like Mount Dalton. I remember going to, and we'd. Um, we trail sort of teams of wet flies behind the boat and he'd row up and down this lake, you know, and we'd catch a little trout. Um, but it probably wasn't until I'm trying to think what my the first time, we I think actually the first time I cast a fly was probably, um, yeah, probably one of the Westmead lakes, like the White Lake, probably, um, or Loch, Loch Bourne, probably for, um, for trout from a boat or, or actually probably started off from, from the bank. We used to go for barbecues, but sort of multiple families. He and, see. Uh, he seemed to like uh, the White Lake, did he? Yeah, he, yeah, he did. In the book, he talks a lot about it. He was very fond of it. Yeah, yeah, he and did. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't let it out a bit like an angler's paradise. FD Barker, because he actually, <laughs> um, he doesn't say where he caught the biggest fish. Ah, the other one yeah. he, he has on the front page the six pound eight ounce that yeah. uh, he caught on a sedge in an evening. But if you read the Beast about it, which I did quite often, actually, loads of times. He says, like, that he's with a guy called Murroch, fishing with a guy called Murroch. Yeah, which was aptly named. Aptly named, exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. he says, the only hint that you get is up until they had that fish, their only sport of the day is a poorly conditioned rainbow. So I'm yeah. there putting two and two together and goes, it's got to be the white leg. It's got to be the white leg. So I don't yeah. know. So was it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, I believe so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I remember, I remember coming back that night, and um, oh, do yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah, and um, I because you know it was quite late, obviously, because he caught that fish in in almost total darkness. Like he, he was, he blind cast to a feeding fish, I think, as he, he put it himself. He heard the slurp, and then he just struck, and, and the next thing you know is the boat's been towed. Like, like, like you know. Whether that was a bit of journalistic sort of license, I don't know, but <laughs> it reads good. It, it reads good, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, but I remember he actually came home with two fish that night, and um, and like what happens generally in the house that you drive across the cattle grid, so that'd be the first thing that kind of wake you up is the mm -hmm. the car coming across the cattle grid, and then into the gravel, and then grinding to a sort of a, a sort of halt, and this halt was. Was like a little bit skiddy, you know, and I kind of thinking, <laughs> oh, something's going on. What's happened? And and it was just a kind of like a, you know, a, you know, there was a bit of sort of, you know, I don't know, there was, there was a a bit of speed in the in the walking, you know, and and he, he kind of got into the to the um to the house and and the, like the back door was like adjacent to 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 myself and my brother's room and um and we could hear the chatting in the kitchen and um and him talking to my mother. And I, I came out of the, the room and I went in and there were these two, these two trout and papers and one was, yeah, I think probably the, the poorly conditioned rainbow, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, uh, but the other one was 
massive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think at that stage he was already on a second glass of wine. So, so um, yeah, I got I got the full story. But yeah, it was a beautiful fish, and um, yeah, it's still it's it's stuffed, yeah, and 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 sort of um, mounted in um, in our house in our family home. Uh, it's still, still there. there, yeah. Still there. I read that? Actually, I have it. I might read actually the paragraph yeah, or two. Please do, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. it here. Um, so he's talking about uh, Murak fumbled forward and the beam of his torch lit the water. The bottom sprang up as though looked at through the bottom of a glass. We were in no more than a foot of water and almost a ground. Then there swam deliberately into the circle of bright light a great silvered shape, the eyes bright as diamonds. In the calm water and the torch's sharp light, I could see the slender hold of the fly. My heart failed me. It must be now or not at all. I put side pressure on the fish and she removed reluctantly to the side of the boat. Murrow put the net under her in the torchlight and lifted her great bulk inboard. As he did so, the net bent and the fly fell out, but she was landed. And my old hardy scale, as accurate as any computer, put her at six pounds and eight ounces. My biggest then and still. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. great writing. And just in case people are wondering, sorry, it's Fly Fishing for Irish Trout by Niall Fallon. Um, it's I, I got it on I think it was a books or Amazon. You can still get it. It's it's a it's a fantastic read. Um, I was and I was just looking there as well, Garrett. It was first published in 1983, um, and this is the edition 1986. But like you know, there's brown trout and lakes, brown trout and rivers. What I actually liked, Garrett, is even just the opening chapter. He talks about the changing scene, and I did have a question for you. And actually, I have the page marked. Right. Actually, I was going to ask. This might be for another time, though, or even. Um, <laughs> your, uh, your dad writes, writes it at, um, I have in my desk tape recordings of several of the great gillies of the Western Lakes. Mm. One long since dead recalls the capture in, in one week of two trout to his rod, the one weighing 21 pounds, the second close on 24 pounds. They were, he said, caught on fly. You don't have those tapes anymore, do you? I would wow. love to hear those tapes. <laughs> So I, I'd forgotten that piece of it. I remember it, yeah. Now that would um, make a podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I can have a look for them. Um, you know, um, my my, you know, my mother doesn't throw anything away. So, uh, um, like, uh, you know, a lot of his stuff is is still around. I I have. He was supposed to be kind of, you know, working on a on another book, um, which we I, I, I've looked I've looked extensively for, and I never managed to find it. Um, uh-huh. but I haven't had a huge amount of access to his his personal stuff, but I think with permission from my mum, I might be able to have a rummage around. There's a, there's a lot of things knocking around, you know, um, in sort of boxes and drawers, mostly drawers, you know. I had a lot of drawers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is with fly fishermen and fishermen full stop, but fly fishermen especially, there's an awful lot of drawers around, you know, with stuff in them, and um, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think there, there are there are tapes, um, but I hadn't actually. It's a long time since I read the book, and I'd forgotten about those. Yeah, so, um, that gives me gives me something to do. You know, excuse to do it. But it's funny yeah. actually. Myself and Tom were talking, and what I love about kind of the book is it's the kind of link to the past as well. So whether it was the tapes, or even Tom, you were mentioned in the bibliography, the kind of you know mentioned in the books or the tackle shops. Yeah, you know, some and, of the books. Some of the books. The list he's had. I mean, there's books there that I hadn't heard of, and I'm quite good. I won't say I'm quite good, but I, you know, I I would looked up a lot of things. I've I've actually gone to the National Library and <laughs> taken out. I took out um, Belton's book 
which was written in 1834. I went to the National Library to get it out, to get a paragraph from it. Right. Yeah, so I was looking through the bibliography again. And this cop there said, oh, God, I don't know that one. Oh, <laughs> off, the, off to the library again. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I think Tom Ford tells a great story about um, my dad being, you know, in, in, in sort of, you know, heavy competition against this other book collector in Ireland. And I don't know who this person was, you know. I've never found out, but he'd be infuriated. They go to a lot of sort of house clearances. And at that, that time in the 1980s, 1990s, you know, not the 70s, 80s, 90s, you were getting a lot of house clearances, you know, as sort of old sort of families had passed away and people didn't understand really what the books were worth. And um, and sometimes they, at the time, they probably weren't worth a lot at all. It wasn't until later that they were probably worth something. But he would just, you know, he kind of knew and he would, he would buy them. And there were books coming in and out of the house all the time. And he would talk to Tom Fort, like, you know, as soon as he came back from a house clearance or whatever, or an, an auction, and he'd say, oh, I have this book. You know, Tom, I go, oh, I've got a copy of that. I said, oh, all right, okay. Well, I've got this book today. I've got a copy of that, you know. And so I got this book. Oh, I don't have a copy of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or Tom would ring him and say, I've, I've seen a copy of this. Do you have it? And, and they'd do kind of swap. But then, you know, invariably sort of once every few months you'd go, oh, I was at that auction and that fellow was there. And he got he got the book that I wanted, you know, the the F and so and so. So, um, yeah. But I never found out who that man was, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. They, they, he had he had a, he had quite an extensive library. Yeah, um, a lot of which I now have. Got some of the books behind me. Some of the sort of less valuable ones are here, and um, a few others are in my house. But the rest are all in kind of safekeeping. Can I ask you, um, Gert, just in terms of um, when did your dad die? Oh, he died. Um, he's he's well. When I turned fifty-one, he was dead longer than he was alive in my life. So it's twenty-six years ago we died. Yeah. 90, late nineties. Yeah. yeah. Was he obviously because he's such a great journalistic career? You know, the Irish Times, and you, know, you mentioned Cambodia and the kind of special reports and stuff. But yet, I don't know. Well, maybe it's just the the the, the space I occupy. <laughs> he's associated so much with the fly fishing of yeah. Ireland. What? What way do you think he wanted to have been remembered for his journalism work or both? Or what, what way do you think would have been? That's a really interesting point. Uh, um, I'd wish I had a chance to sort of um, to ask him. But um, I, I think for both, really, um, like I think first and foremost, you know, um, I felt that he was a journalist, you know. Um, but actually, that's what I thought when I was a kid. You know, I thought that, you know, he was a fisherman after that. But actually, as I've got older, I think that probably the two things kind of switch around. You know, right. um, I, I think that he's having found some of the, I, like he, he, he wrote um, 22 short stories, which have never been published, which I have. Wow. And, 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 they're, um, and they're about sort of a mix, they're about sort of a whole, you know, cross section of kind of Irish life in the sort of, sort of 70s and 80s. And actually it kind of made me think that really underneath it all, he was, he was a writer. You know, I think so. The journalism kind of happened as a sort of necessity, maybe to pay the bills. To, to pay the bills, and actually, you know, and my mother. In fact, I was just told to my mother recently. Um, you know, she was saying that she's found like he he wrote he, he wrote a, a novel. You know, um, he wrote plays, uh, poems. You know, all sorts of stuff. Um, so I think, I think he was a writer. You know, and I think if he wanted to write about anything. More than anything else, it was probably about fishing, though he didn't do nearly enough of that. You know, he did a lot of fishing, but you know, but not enough writing about it. Was he proud of um, fly fishing for Irish trout? Um, Yeah, he was. But he's um, 
you know, uh, and the person who would tell me that would be would be Tom Ford again, because Tom and him were, were, were absolutely great friends, Tom, Matthew and Stephen, you know, and um, and um, all the that three, four brothers and, and, and then the friend Stephen. Um, yeah, and Tom would say that he was a fierce self-critic as well as being, you know, uh, not, yeah, well, he didn't give praise easily, you know, for other people. So he, he, if he gave, if he didn't give praise easily, he probably wasn't too, you know, self-praising. But, um, but actually, I think he was proud of it because um, I think that the proof is kind of in the pudding, isn't it? So I think that um, when people write you letters to say, thanks, that, you know, I managed to catch a trout on that piece of advice. And that's kind of yeah. enough, isn't it? You know, you're doing you're doing something right. You know, yeah, hundred um, percent. Well, I'd highly recommend it for anybody to to check it out online and to get a secondhand copy of it. it. Is a great read, like you know, absolutely. Like I want to fast forward, um, yeah. years and decades. We'll do a, a quick fast forward. How does the boy who is fishing the deal? Um, you end up in London, and in a midlife crisis or a late life, later life crisis, you end up setting up a fishing magazine. <laughs> Fill in the blanks. Uh, well, this, the fishing magazine started actually when I was, um, when my dad was still alive. Um, I was, I was working in advertising and um, in, in, in Dublin. And then I was, I was designing as well. Um, I'd, I'd been to art college. And, uh, actually, I went from advertising to art college and back to sort of design. And, and I was like, um, I just had this, you know, my father had sort of ignited this kind of passion in me. Um, I, I became ill when I was in my sort of 20s and for a summer I had to move back home. And my dad basically nursed me, you know, by bringing me to the canal and kind of leaving me there. You know, and the, you know, the, I could barely walk, but he would leave me for, you know, an hour. And I would, I had my old rod from when I was a kid and, um, and I would fish. And I would catch rod. The Royal Canal was full of rod at the time. And had you um, fished before? Like, had you let it go during your twenties? I, I sort of I let it go when I was I fished extensively up to about the time I was about fifteen, and I went away to boarding school, and um, and then I didn't, you know, I didn't fish for a couple of years until a couple of lads from Dunboyne uh, joined that school, and we went to start pike fishing again. And an actual fact: a bunch of us went home to from school one weekend, and one of my mates caught a ten pound salmon in the Boyne. On a, on a on a spinner and um you know and it was uh, that was a great day but um but that, from there i kept on fishing so i'd only had a couple of years you know out of it and um and then yeah it was when passion for angling came out and i watched that with my dad um and he introduced me to, to the writing chris yates and all that kind of stuff and i thought i've got to do something like that you know this is amazing so i, I looked into it at the time and then you know sort of you know college took you know went on and, and then my father passed away and then I I kind of I was drifting for a little bit and like I, it was my uncle Porrick uh, my father's youngest brother who invited me over to London and um and then just you know work took over I, I was been working in magazine publishing you know from 27 up until I'm still doing it so yeah after a while I just became like what am I doing you know <laughs> like I'm sort of working in, in magazines that are about economics and about banking and, you know, about, you know, offshore hedge funds and, you know, well, okay, great, fantastic. But I wanted to, I wanted to do something else. So that kind of, that itch was still there. And, um, and yeah, it was about, it was 2014. I kind of went like, I, I need to have a kind of creative side to me. Um, even though I was I was creating in my professional world, but I wasn't creating anything I was necessarily particularly proud of, and, and um, it was just paying the bills. Um, and so, I, I, you know, similar to your dad, actually, 
you know, in terms yeah. of your dad was doing the journalism, like, and he was doing the writing on the side. Yeah, there, there's definitely, there's definitely kind of symmetry to it. Um, uh, you know, I, I sort of, I think one of the things that sort of prompted me to do it as well was my my uncle Porrick, you know, um, who I was very very close to. Like he'd he would take me salmon fishing, um, you know, up to Scotland. You know, in fact, the year that my dad died, uh, I went. My, my father and mother would go every year with my uncle Porrick up to the Conan in Scotland or or the Naver or somewhere like that. And um, and the the year he died, he, obviously dad couldn't go, so I went in his stead and. Um, and that was the first time I really kind of met my uncle properly. You know, um, I'd met him obviously a few times, but I really got to know him at that point and we became very close. And um, I, uh, I then subsequently moved over to, to London and lived with him for a while and, and fished sort of relatively sort of regularly with him. Um, and so he passed away. Um, it just, it just, this kind of thing started to build where, where I just kind of felt that I'd, I'd sort of owed something to, you know, not just my father, but to my uncle too, um, and 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 I guess to my grandfather, you know, sort of poet and, and writer. And I kind of felt that there was a sort of I wanted to write more, you know. Um, I'd I'd written a bit in my twenties. I'd, I'd applied for a to job as angling correspondent of the Irish Times actually, and got turned down um, <laughs> when I was about, you know. 20 or something. <laughs> Derek Evans, uh, damn you. Yeah. Well, no, no nepotism in the Irish Times. So. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it couldn't have been that. No, it must have been. It must have been after, actually. That's, that's a good point. It must have been after my dad died. Yeah. So I was what? I was 25. So yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I think it was like, okay, I'll apply for this. Somebody said, oh, this job is gone. I said, I was a bloody year too late, isn't it? Because I had a really good contract and now he's <laughs> not around. <laughs> But yeah, there was no sympathy given. It was just like, no, you're crap. Off you go. You know? <laughs> so was like, um, but yeah, they weren't. They, they, you know, I was, I was writing, you know, in a very kind of, um, you know, pastoral kind of way. Uh, I was writing about, you know, misty dawns and, you know, the magic of catching fish, rather than, you know, I went down the canal and I caught fifty pound roach. You know, um, and did that so, inform then Fallon's anger? In that yeah, sense, because it wasn't a how to, and it's not even. Like it's about fishing, but there's a certain philosophy and a certain mood to it, I think is the kind of way I'd phrase it. Like, yeah, um, it did because my father had this really extensive library, but it wasn't just about Irish fishing books. Um, it was and it wasn't just about fly fishing, it was lots of disciplines. So whenever I became interested, like I remember reading Ken Whelan's um, you know, book about um course fishing in Ireland, and, and it was just you know, I used to go into it. Whenever I wanted to go somewhere, I would read that book, and but that. That was a very instructive book and was really really handy you know and so i would read those but then i would also read like when i when i first read casting the sun um by chris yates i just it just blew me away and um and that was it just made so much sense to me um and so my angling was sort of you know a, a mixture of the two things where you know you need that instructive stuff where you know you, you can learn and you have to sort of you have a conundrum and you want to find out so you want to you know you read how somebody else has sort of dealt with this but actually, what really spoke to me was was something much more soulful, and um, and and in in a sense, uh, when I when the opportunity came to do it, um, there was that it needed to be soulful because that was what I was looking for. You know, the work that I was doing had a lack of soul to it. So um, I I just I just found it. You know, I had this need to sort of engage with nature. I I I felt it sort of it was a very kind of magical thing to do, and and so. 
the writing has just kind of evolved in that sort of sense. Um, it's just the writing that makes more sense to me because I, I think at the time as well, there was a lot of, um, in, many, in many ways, it was a sort of, you know, there was so many fishing magazines out, you know, around that time, sort of, you know, early 2000s, tons of them, you know. Um, but actually it was the advent of a kind of sponsored angling. And, um, and so very quickly, I think, uh, we, we realized, oh, magazines were literally just full of, tackle talk you know um oh, i'm going fishing with this rod sponsored by this manufacturer with this reel sponsored by this manufacturer with this line and it was just like okay all right when you're gonna actually well, that, that that doesn't happen oh i, I couldn't <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you you're serious <laughs> yeah, and actually believe it or not it still happens and, and the thing is i'm all on for that you know because you need your ambassadors you know and, and, and you know you, you do need that but actually when it was all the time i kind of felt you know uh you know there's, there's more to it than this, isn't there? You know, um, and so I kind of like uh, I still read the Angling Times. So you know, when I like uh, I like the Angling Times, big fan of it. Um, I'll go and buy a copy, and there's lots of how-to stuff and where-to stuff, and it's fantastic. But when I want to read, you know, um, you know, there, there, there was nowhere really I felt I could read, you know, enough about just escape, you know, um, where I could sit. You know, the thing where you can just kind of sit in an airplane and and you know. Um, pull out a book and then suddenly you've landed you know it's like it's it's three hours it's three hours later and you've kind of forgotten that you know there's been an you know a steward walking past offering you beer or something like that. you've just you've just totally got your head in the book and um and you know i wanted that kind of thing from from a magazine as well where where you know it was long form writing where people were given enough time and space to be able to kind of get their hands into a story um and it was, it was, it's basically, yeah, it's, it's, you know, at the time there wasn't an awful lot of nature in my life. And um, even though where I'm, where I'm living now is, is, is sort of relatively leafy. Um, I'll, um, you know, I wasn't fishing enough and actually it was a good excuse for it, you know, get me out fishing, you know. Actually, it's funny. It's how I uh, came to write my book, Haunted by Waters. Because I wasn't yeah, fishing. Yeah, great book. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and thanks a million for to review it. Um, <laughs> but it was, and and it's you know, it's funny. I won't bore you too too much about it. it was it was the first, it was my sixth book. But it was the first one I'd written that I didn't have a contract for it, that I hadn't been commissioned to write because the other ones are you know sports GA all that kind of stuff. I just wrote it for myself, but I wrote it with the point of view of it was an excuse to make me get out as well fishing. You know, so I was booked, you know, I would go somewhere, I'd book somewhere to do it. And, you know, you know, my excuse to the wife as well, yeah. you know, I'm going to be writing a book, you know. <laughs> but I, I sat down and wrote it for myself. And, you know, and then when I was thinking of sending it off to publishers, I was like, sure, what publisher would be interested in, you know, fly fishing around Ireland kind of thing. And I remember sent, you know, I sent it off to Hachette or one of the, the biggest publishers, you know, in Ireland. And they, they got back to me within hours. And they're like, it just struck a chord. And I think, I think it's that when it comes from the soul, like you said, Gareth, when it comes from the heart, you know, it, re it can, it resonates kind of deeper with people like, you know. Yeah. I find that book, if it's sort of, it's a very kind of precinct book, you know, it was, um, you know, it came at the right time. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, it was, uh, it really resonated with me. And, and obviously you would, you talked about some places like, uh, like the sure, I mean, stories about the sure, you know, I'm sure was a very special river to my father and I'd only had the pleasure of fishing it probably twice in my life. Um, but, um, and, and I actually had the pleasure of speaking to Tom Fort as well on the podcast yeah. 
yeah. year, year and a half ago. I think it was just at the start of the pandemic, and he was talking right. about sure. And and we've I've been saying to him, Tom, like, come on, because he was we were able to talk about this like literally down the road from me where I go fishing, and he's like, oh yeah, I've been down there and I've got caught fish down there and everything. Like, and I was like, right, you have to come back and we'll go fishing, like you know. And that's what it, I love that in terms of you know the seven degrees of separation and all. Like when you're talking about people, and you know, it's amazing. I'm talking to Tom Fort in the UK, and he's fished down the road from me. Like there is that, but it's, it's it's part of the beauty of angling, isn't it? You know, it's like um, you know, I I have it's one of the sort of things that I hadn't realised would happen is that I, I I now you know my social circle has has grown, and I've got really really close friends that I've met since I set up the magazine. You know, who I see as often as I can, and I fish with as often as I can, but not nearly enough. You know. Um, but, I, you know, it, it's just the magazine has put me, you know, in contact with like minded people, you know, um, mm. who see angling in the same way. And they can be from all over the place, you know, not just the people you might meet on the bank yourself. And as a result of that, then you've got more opportunities to meet more people kind of like you, you know, and, um, and not everybody's going to be exactly like you, which is which is you don't want you don't want you don't want people to be exactly like you. You want people to be different. You know, you want you you want you want that sort of journey through life to sort of give you opportunities to meet. Tell me this, Gary. Um, how did you find it the first few years? Because obviously you you know you were still working, you were still doing the day job, you know, but you you know you were putting this out. And how did you find it the first few years? Was it tough in terms of you know? You know, because I again, I'm thinking in terms of digital. Everybody, you know, and I've been working in digital media for over 20 years. I've been, you know, a proponent of digital media for that time. I did my first podcast in 2007. <laughs> yeah, eventually, you know, eventually I get right. Like you were about five. <laughs> <laughs> actually, so much we had to call. We actually had to call it radio because we knew if we, so, because we knew if we called it a podcast, people wouldn't have a clue what we were talking about. But yeah, so how did you find that first few years? Like, did people not go, Jesus, you're mad doing that? Oh, people said I was mad to do it from the very beginning, you know, even before I came up with the first one. Yeah, because yeah. I, I had no idea how it would go down. You know, I thought people would just think, who's this bloody Egypt, you know? Um, but I, I felt that there was, as an issue I wanted to scratch, there was a, there was something I wanted to tell. There was a story I wanted to tell. There was things I was interested in doing. And um, and actually, I felt that there was a need for angling to reconnect. You know, I thought that people had, you know, that need for, you know, to reconnect with with what's out there you know and um and yeah it, it was it was hard you know it's never easy balancing you know a magazine with a really busy career you know um but actually i've sort of left that you know most of that career behind i still obviously do it you know um and um but yeah it's it's you know it's it's a, it's incredibly hard to balance those two things you know but ultimately you need to make a choice so in the last couple of years, I've decided that actually I'd rather be, you know, fishing an awful lot, you know, not earning a huge amount of money. Sorry, that's my next door neighbor's dog. <laughs> um, chasing a fox, no doubt. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather, you know, I, I kind of question like, well, you know, why do we work sort of 50 hour weeks all the time? You know, why do we work 60 hour, 70 hour weeks, which is something I was doing a lot of. Uh, um, you know, life is, life is kind of very short. And, um, uh, you know, it's and certainly my dad's death sort of made me realise that, and, and I kind of thought, well, um, you know, try and make it, try, you know, maybe working less for less, being happy with less, gives you kind of more freedom, and so that's kind of what I've been doing. And you know, Fallon's Angler isn't something that pays me a wage. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's something I do for love. You know, um, uh, it's something that you know 
I do because I believe it's important, you know, but um, it's something that I love doing. Yeah, like so many media projects, projects and magazines you see, and and they do disappear. They, it's like people lose interest, mm. you know. Or, or that, and I think it's interesting what you're saying in terms of it's about doing it for the purpose, the why behind it. Because if you're looking to kind of do it to go, look, I want to make money. I want obviously you'd love to be doing it full time and making money out of it. But if that's the sole purpose, it becomes a very difficult um, aspiration. Do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got absolutely no intentions of of, of stopping it. Um, you know, I, I've looked at its, you know, evolution, and and because magazine design is something I've done for a long time, and 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 I, you know, though we haven't necessarily changed the design of the magazine an awful lot, we've we've changed kind of you know some of the things that are in it, and we 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 do have some of the writers still, you know, Chris Hates is still in there, and a few other people, um, and you know, but there are other there are also. You know, lots of other types of writing in there. You know, like we've proudly showcased a different writer. You know, like a new writer every single issue since the very first. You know, um, and and we do that. You know, we go out and we search and we find a new writer in every single issue and and and, and publish it. And and that's something I think we can be proud of. But also, we kind of um, I do quite a lot of work with people on their pieces. You know, and to help you know people develop. And of course, I'm I'm no I'm no expert, but um, you know, I, I do try to sort of help people sort of find their their voice, and that journey in itself is sort of interesting because, um, you know, we, we've worked hundreds of articles now over over twenty six issues, um, and just watching how the face of angling changes. Like even when I first did it, I, I was at the time I just sort of gotten into fishing with a split cane rod, you know, and um, and trotting, uh, you know. And uh, Tom and I were just talking about this, that, you know, um, just at the very beginning, and, and and it was like, you know, why why did I not know about this when I was in Ireland? Why did I not know about trotting in Ireland? I mean, oh my God, could you imagine the carnage we could have caused on the, you know, on the Shannon, you know, the, you know, or even the Boyne, you know? Oh my God, you know, and and like, and I, I did. I've been back and I have trotted a, you know, a float down on the Blackwater for days, and that's been fantastic, and and. and um, but but I was very much I, I, had a, I had a tweed jacket on you know and a cane rod and, and and that was my kind of thing and and then actually you know a few years later it's it's morphed into something else as I I travel light I, I I've got a 1980s match rod you know that that is really light and it's light enough to throw over a fence you know because I spent a lot of time being chased by cattle um, so uh, so yeah um, so things kind of change and I think the writing changes with it. You know, um, I think it's quite a journey, isn't it? <laughs> well, and that's uh, that's what it's about, isn't it? The, you know, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the journey yeah. as opposed to the destination. Like, well, I, 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 I think you know, like I know so little about fishing, you know, but compared compared to somebody compared to somebody who knows nothing about fishing, I know loads. Yeah, compared compared to it's some, all it's all relative. But just one thing I want to ask you there: you said that you suddenly realised that you don't want to work fifty hours a week. And you want to fish more, but I'm gonna. What came first? Did you suddenly think that when you started fishing more, or did you think that initially that I don't want to do 50 hours a week and then start fishing? What came first? What What was was it the fishing that made you think that, or did you just think that as we get older, a lot of us think that anyway? Yeah, yeah. Is it the fishing that instilled that? Well, that's where the mid, the midlife crisis came in. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it was. Um, yeah, it, it was the fishing because basically. 
in order to do the magazine on uh, along with my work, I upped my hours. So I ended up working harder and harder and harder. Um, but actually what that did is it opened the door to me fishing again. And, um, and by fishing again, I realized this is just, this is what it's about, you know? And, um, and, and so, yeah, so it's a bit of a roundabout way, but yeah, it's definitely the fishing that has sort of given me the confidence to kind of go, do you know what, you know, stop it, <laughs> stop, stop, stop behaving like an idiot. Um, you know, you're going to kill yourself. Um, I think it's in, in, in kind of, you know, in many ways, I kind of, I was worried about, you know, doing what happened to my father and dropping dead in an office, you know, when I was in, in my 50s, because I was like, I was working myself to the bone and actually fishing has given me an opportunity to, to sort of reevaluate. And, um, and so I'm kind of fitter now in my 50s than I was in my 40s. And, 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 and that's kind of getting better, you know, but yeah, it's just, a, you know, being outside, being by, being on the bank of a river or, you know, or a canal or a lake, you know, it's just the way forward, you know. It's hard to, I remember again, just at the time of the book when I was doing media interviews and I was talking to Ryan Tuberty and RTE and Matt Cooper on Today FM and, you know, they're, you know, like, and in fairness, Tuberty does fishing, but he was like, how can you, you know, sell this to people you tell people you go fishing or whatever you know they you know they think i have my friends in dublin you know they play golf and they go so you stand in a river and you watch this line and nothing happens for most of the day <laughs> it's like yeah that's pretty much it but like work on the sales pitch there yeah exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. but it was all about that when i, I suppose when i was trying to say like how can you sell it to people and it's like i was trying to sell exactly what you said garrett it's when you're out that you just, it's good for the soul. It's good for the, you know, I, I actually, I think I pitched it like, it's like modern meditation, you know, yeah. in, in a way, um, in, in that sense and that you're out and about. And even like, I I, I wrote it in, the, I think it was the prologue to the book where I came back from the Blackwater. I'd been fishing for salmon. I hadn't caught anything. And my wife said to me, Jesus, you know, it's taking years off you. You know, you look so, you know, just from that act of being out for a couple of hours, like, and, you know, I said, oh, sure, it's like heaven, like, and she was like, Jesus, if I could get to heaven by driving 20 minutes down the road, I'd be there all the time. <laughs> and it was only kind of like, and I was like, yeah, actually, that's a fair point. Why am I, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of like, if it means that's so much to you, why can't it, you know, do it more and more? And I think that's, I'm, I'm kind of similar to you, Gart, in that sense of cutting that trap of working 50, 60 hour weeks wanting to fish because you know it's good for you not being able to feeling bad about yourself because you can't do it still yeah. working more you know and it's kind of like you, you get caught in that hamster wheel like i think we do and, and i think that you know I, I think you know men's well you know mental health across the board now is is, um, is very much in focus for society but i think in particular you know men's mental health um has become much more um but we're much more able to talk about it, you know. And and I think you know, uh, gone fishing with, um, you know, um, Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehead has, has really sort of helped open up um, people's eyes to the benefits of it. And, and actually, but loads of people I know are kind of going, "Well, we do that anyway," you know. But it's finally now it's, it's great for other people to see why we do it. Um, but I was kind of you know, in in some ways that's what I've been doing. And in some ways, that's what my dad was doing. So in some ways, that's what, what you were doing, what we all do. You know, we've all, you know, we've all been kind of marshalling our kind of mental health in some way by, by fishing, you know. And it's just that now, now we're actually able, now, now we can talk about it. And I actually go, well, sometimes I struggle or sometimes I don't, or, you know, yeah. 
sometimes I have a problem with grief or sometimes there's a problem with marriage or, or, or whatever it is that guys need to talk about. Uh, but also, you know, what I, what I love about fishing is, is again, I'm going to quote what, what Tom Ford, you know, because he's, he'll, he'll, he'll like me talking about him so much. Um, <laughs> he'll say, he, I think he says something like in his book, The Far From Compete Anger, that um, uh, anybody who says that they go fishing to think um, about life or about their problems or anything like that is, is lying because the only thing you think about when you're fishing is fishing. Yeah. And um, and I actually I was caught along those kind of lines and it really made sense to me. And that in itself is meditation, because actually you're not thinking of, you know, the state of funds. You're not thinking of Boris Johnson. You're not thinking of, you know, uh, who's winning Wimbledon. You're not thinking of where, where my next mortgage payment is. You're thinking about how do I catch that trout in front of me or how do I there's a pike under that bush. Or, you know, and occasionally it can be, wow, there's a flock of hirondines. It's amazing. Oh, there's there's an osprey. That might, that, that, that'd be lucky. Um, or or something unusual happens to snap you out of it, which is, you know, nature throws something at you, like a kingfisher landing on the rod tip or a vole crawling across your foot or, you know, or a cow licking your ear. You know? <laughs> or catching a bat. <laughs> catching a bat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and actually just on that, uh, the whole thing about nature and, and like... I, I think I've said it before in terms of, you know, you see the, the kids, the gen- younger, you feel that they're losing that touch to nature, you know, because, you know, we're all on our screens, you know, maybe we're a bit older, so we're kind of, you know, can remember life before the iPhones and all that. And for me, for my kids, it's giving them the appreciation of nature that, you know, I can just bring them out down for a walk down the river and, you know, and they're looking at the same thing, but they're seeing it and, and starting to appreciate it. And I think, if anything, that to me is something that has a legacy to pass on, you know, it's that kind of, that I hope we never lose it, you know, that, you know, but obviously a lot of kids are, but to give them that taste of nature and, and, and how important it is, like, because I, I, I do think probably, we're losing it. I think you're totally right. I, I think that we're at, we're at a real crossroads, you know, at the moment. And, and I think it's because, you know, we all know people of, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you lads, but, you know, I'm, um, you know, I know people older than me that who, who spend an awful lot of time on social media when they should be doing better things. And, and, and you know, I know that, that to a certain extent, you know, um, being on social media, being on a screen is important to, to work and to exist and to stay in contact with your friends. But actually, we have the experience of a, of a life, you know, and, 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 and actually we're able to make informed decisions about how we spend our time. And, and, and are we are able to recognize our need for nature because we've been through it, you know. But if you're a kid and you don't have that exposure, what do you do? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you get somebody to sort of realize, put down the phone or, you know, um, come and see the river, you know, um, how do you, how do you help them on that journey? And the only way to do it is just to, you know, encourage them, you know, either by, you know, making them go <laughs> or, or yeah. which, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, like Tom, do you, do you, do you bring, do you bring young people fishing? You know, yeah. like, I was, just, the young people I would bring fishing would be uh, uh, kids. Yeah. Kids, oh, sorry, kids of clients. Kids of clients, yeah, yeah. yeah. And are they generally no, we, enthusiastic? We, we do it. We do it here through our club. But yeah. Like, as a guide, um, as a guide, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Occasionally, you'd be asked, but it'd be the parents. Who yeah. Would be up, but the parents would be fishing as well. Nearly ninety percent of the time. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. The local, yeah. Cl- the local club here does do a lot for youth angling. So yeah, you can encourage them that way without it. And I get what you're saying. You know. Encouraging is one thing. Forcing is something completely different. Yeah, because you can't do it. You, know, you can't no, do it. No, you can't yeah. do it. No, you no. can't do it. And it's a fine line. I mean, what do you do? 
It's a yeah. fine line, but you know, uh, you know, I often say this. It's it's part of part of the broader, broader probably problem that angling is facing. But there's so many things that you can do now as a youngster in the outdoors. You know, you know, people say, oh, they're all us. They're all on computer screens. No, they're not. You know, they're they're, they're kayaking, they're yeah. mountain biking. You know, like I don't know. Like I grew up here rurally, and I, I've said it here before. You know, the options I had when I was growing up here in Carnamona was I played football, Gaelic football, or I went yeah. fishing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, now, as I said, there's mountain biking, there's kayaking, there's yeah. so many other things to do. So, like, for want of a better word, we're actually in competition. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, my, my nephew and nieces in, in, in Dublin, um, like, my nephew, like, uh, he's a, you know, mad hurler, you know, and now he's actually started to play rugby. So he's, you know, he's always out and about. And, and you know, before that, it was, it was, it was soccer, you know, um, and then getting football. So he always went out and, you know, his, his sisters, you know, um, one does and one doesn't, you know, they're one's sporty, one's, one's not, you know, uh, but they always had the option to do it, you know, but in Irish culture, you've got this kind of the GAA, you've, you, you got that and you've got, you know, so many, lakes and rivers that are around you like everybody yeah. i know is next to a lake or a river but here in the uk it's not that like my nearest river is is about a mile and a half away and i'm not allowed to fish it you know and uh, I, I can walk it but i can't fish it so if you're a young person and, and, and you walk to that river and you don't get you know you don't even know what's in there you know you don't you don't see anybody engaging with it in the way you see the beauty of it but actually when you realize that there's a fish in it it's, it, it becomes something else you know so that, that that opportunity isn't there, you know. But you know, I can see when I go back to Ireland, that like I was just back a few weeks back in, in County Mead, and um, um, one of the little rivers that flows into the Boyne. I mean, oh my gosh! I mean, it was just teeming with trout, and I was like, oh, yeah, got to get back there, you know. <laughs> and uh, and it's two it's two fields from the back of my, my mate's house, and his, you know, he he wants to learn how to how to fly fish, you know, so um, he can take his daughter there, and I mean. You know, they, you live in the countryside, and you've got these things on your on your doorstep. But um, but what do you what do you do then if you're if you're living in the city? You know, um, do you have do you have the same options then if you're living in the countryside? I, I I'm I'm not sure. Like I, I work with some people who who help charities. They work with young young kids. So one one of my mates he, he works with young kids, and he takes them. I think it's called Band of Brothers, and he, he takes them out. Um, takes young kids from urban and you know or you know disadvantaged backgrounds into nature. You know, uh, and we have a thing here. Um, uh, it's relatively uh, tackling mines. Uh, so, so something that's that started here, which is about, uh, which is a really good setup. But lads, a bunch of lads who, who um, I think Ricky Hatton is one of the sponsors of it, and, and they 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 basically deal with mental health issues through through um, through fishing. You know, and that's for kind of all age groups, but mostly it seems to be sort of mostly kind of you know men but i might be wrong about that but there are organizations that help young young kids but i'm just i'm just thinking i'm still worried about it like, like i'm kind of lucky you know my wife and i we have a caravan down the, you know bluebell woods in east sussex and um very close to the sea but also very close to very nice slow rivers full of tension bream um and i i go down there but my daughter's more interested in swimming in them than she is in fishing but that's fine you know because sooner or later a Pike will swim by and she'll be going, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, get out of the way. I need to catch it. <laughs> I want to catch it. Kurt, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to just, I have two questions there for you. Um, I want to bring you back just to uh, the magazine and you mentioned Chris Yates. I'm a massive Chris Yates fan as well. 
Um, how did you get him on board? And it, <laughs> you must have been thrilled when he started writing for Fallon's Anger. It was unbelievable. Um, it's it's a pleasure to to know the man. It really is. Um, I I always wanted him on board um, because you know um, that that summer that I spent at home happened to coincide with passion for angling um, on television. And I remember my dad coming and get me, and he said. Watch these two lads come in and do these two lads are amazing, you know. You know, and so we sat down and we watched it. And we used to, I used to come down and watch it with them, you know, every sort of week. And um, and I thought, you know, and then I was reading his books and I thought, what a writer is he? You know? And and so when, I, when the idea came to me, I said, Look, I, I just I want this guy in it, you know. And I spoke with Tom Ford, and Tom Ford, I knew that they'd known each other. Tom Ford said, Well, um, if you get a chance to meet him, um you can um, tell him that I said hello, you know. And uh, I think he, I think he actually might have given me his 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 telephone number. Um, but I, being the person that I am, um, very rude to call somebody up without having proper permission. So um, it was when um, the Lost Diaries got launched um, in Rough Trade in London. Uh, I went along to the talk there. John Andrews interviewed Chris. And there was a, I queued up, bought a book and I queued up at the end to get a signature. And um, while I was there, I said, Tom Ford says, said to say hello. <laughs> um, I'm Gareth. I'm thinking of launching a fishing magazine. Um, it's about the soul of nature. It's so the soul of angling. Um, it's about, you know, fishing and, you know, and, 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 you know, it's not about the size of the fish. It's about the story behind the catching of the fish. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the quality of the story and not about the quality of the, um, or the fish, so to speak, but um, and he just went, sounds interesting. Um, here's my number, and he went, Well, actually, I think I might already have that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I know um, you where you live, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, I said, Here, well, you know, here, yeah, here's my number, you have permission to use it. So, I called him about, um, I sort of, uh, you know, I paced up and down the hallway for, um, you know, a number of days kind of going, do I call, do we call, is it too soon? It was a bit like sort of, you know, those moments when you, you, you met somebody you fancy at a, at, a, at a sort of party years before, and is it too soon to call them? But actually, uh, I left it about a week, and then I, I called them back, and um, we had a long chat. And, um, yeah, and he's been on board ever since. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the highlights, I have to say, every time, you know, pick it up. Like, I, I kind of flick straight to, no offense, I fix straight to Chris Yates's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's 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 amazing. And, uh, like, I remember the first time I fished with them, and, and um I just couldn't believe it, and and and, uh, and then when he, he came down for opening day of the season a few years back to uh, to the caravan actually, and so we spent sort of two or three um, days together with Kev Parr and, and a few other lads, and and, um, and it was just absolutely hilarious. He's very good at frisbee. I mean, he's devilish at frisbee, um, and uh, obviously brilliant at angling. But um, yeah. and just, tea tea making is tea making. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I've sort of, I think that's what, you know, I'm not a big tea man, you know, I prefer a pint of Guinness, um, but obviously I, I don't drink when I'm on the bank, um, but uh, I do like a coffee, but uh, Chris takes the mickey out of me there, but uh, his tea is fantastic, and he's got a kind of, you know, he's got a very particular way of making it, uh, but his, 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 the way that he looks at things is remarkable. I, I, I've never met anybody like him. Um, he has this perception you know, he's extremely close to nature. I mean, it's, it's you know, like, I don't know whether he, have you read his book, uh, Night Walk? 
Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh. I, and it's funny, oh. actually. I, I kind of, before I even picked it up, I was like, oh, he's going to struggle. How can you get a book out of that? Oh. <laughs> you know, and it was just, just breathtaking. Just absolutely breathtaking. And, um, and, and to see him do that, and, and, you know, when you're fishing with him, you just kind of, you know, you have these moments where oh, something's going to happen in a minute. And it does, you know, or he'll see something and he goes, look over there and you'll be over there and, you know, you'll see a, a hobby. Like, I think the first time I fished with him, we were driving to, I was driving to show him the river, you know, and literally just the night before, this is the 15th of June, we were literally just going to see the river where we were fishing in the morning. And, um, and, he, and we we're going through this windy country lanes and he goes, stop, stop the car. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? And he bolted out of the car and he literally hurled this kind of gate and he went, and he got his binoculars in it. He went, oh, that was a Marsh Harrier. And Kev Parr was there and he was like, really? And Kev just knows not to question Chris at all. We said, you know, if Chris says he saw a Marsh Harrier, he definitely saw one. And we drove on down and we um, literally about two miles on, uh, probably only about a mile further on, but around quite a few bends. And we got to the bridge where we were going to fish. And um, we got, and Chris was going, that's a really good sign to have seen a Marsh Harrier on on the 15th of June. It's it's a really good sign. And then, and then I was showing on the river and Kev was, had the binoculars pointed in the other direction. He says, Chris, come and have a look at this. And it was a marsh harrier sitting on a fence post about 150 yards away. You know, and we and it was there for the whole three or four days that we were there, flying up and down, quartering away. And um, and Chris had seen it, you know, through a gap in the trees, you know, at me bombing along country roads. <laughs> and I don't know how he did it. He kind of sensed that it would be there. He do, he was he was he, he was he knew the country he, having, you know, he was returning to a part of the countryside he hadn't been to in 50 years. Yeah, he could kind of he saw by the nature of the countryside, by its shape, that actually this was where I'm likely to see one. And, and it, was, it was almost like he conjured it out of thin air, you know. And in, in a similar way, in a similar way that he conjures fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, last question. We've kept you long enough, Garth. Um, we asked this for every uh, guest on on the podcast, uh, and actually, my apologies, I didn't give you the heads up, so I've put oh. you, I've put you on the spot now with this one. What was your most memorable fish? Oh. <laughs> and we always say it doesn't have to be biggest, you know, just memorable in terms of context, situation. Yeah, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't, the, the biggest was the 270 pound, 260 pound sturgeon, but no, it wasn't that one. I think the most memorable one was the 25 pound pike I caught at, um, uh, where was this? Um, it was uh, it was in the Meath Cavern border. I can't remember the name of the lake. It'll come to me. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a January uh, day. Uh, it was actually it was two days before my dad died, and it was um, it was a friend of mine, Phil Daly. I was I was working in Navin, and he he said to me, do you want to go pike fishing? I, I got to go down and service this bit of hospital equipment. And, um, and then, you know, the lake is only up the road when we go there. And, um, and I said, yeah, great idea. And then he picked me up in the car. <clears throat> and then um, we got to the end of the road and it said, oh, I forgot my camera. Have you bought yours? And he went, no, I don't, I don't have a camera. I said, um, well, it's, it's a horrible old day, you know, cold January day. Um, we, you know, we probably won't catch anything anyway. And um, we went down to this lake. And I, I waited in the car park while he you know, um, sorted his workout and drove off. And I was fishing with this 
Shakespeare strike rod. You know, there's both float rods, but 11 foot float rod. It was about as thick as a telegraph pole. It was a massive thing, but it was great for pike fishing because, of, you know, it was very strong. And I'd, I'd nicked my dad's um, Mitchell reel and um, I was using that. And uh, I had uh, I was fishing mackerel, whole mackerel on a, on a, on a treble and, and a tonic. And it was really windy. There was just left to right wind going. And I hoofed this thing out and the line just got caught. Uh, I was aiming for this this bit of reeds between a sort of island and and you know and, and the shore where I thought fodder fish might be sort of you know gathering up and the pike could be in there. But the the, the wind just took the line right out <laughs> about twenty five yards away from where I was casting, and I couldn't get the bobbin on the on the on the uptonic to sort of settle, and it was just going beep 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 like that. And my mate was going like, "That's a fish," and I said, "It's not a fish; it's the wind." And, the, and there was a huge bow in the line. I said, "That's a, it's a fish." And I was, "That's not really, it's not." So, and we went on with this for a minute or so, and I went, "Oh, we just strike the bloody thing." I went, "Okay, you know," and I struck, and the water just went mental, you know, literally, you know, like literally where I'd cast, and this huge fish came out of the water, and I was just like, "Holy moly!" and um, and so I, I struck into it and the pike took off along the, the, the bank. And um, and when in about a minute, the drag on the reel broke um, on my dad's good old, you know, 50-year-old Mitchell reel. So I had to backwind this pike, you know, and then it started absolutely showering down with rain. And it was that really, it wasn't light rain, you know, it wasn't like a soft day rain. It was like lashing with rain and um, the kind of stuff that hurts you. And um, and Phil said, you know, well, sod this, I'm off to the car. Right? And, he left, and, he, and he left me. So I was like, went up and down this this thing, and, and I remember exactly the time because it took me twenty five minutes to land it, and um, and just as I was landing it, the rain stopped and Phil came out and um, and he netted the fish for me, and um, and we waited and it was I think it was twenty five four or twenty five six or whatever, and um, and, and it was beautiful, biggest pike I'd ever caught, the biggest one I caught for that was about sixteen, and um, and I said, Jesus, a shame about that camera, wasn't it? You know, and. Um, and we put the, we, we literally we were just putting the thing back and gone and and the fish there was a little drop off in the lake and um and she just sort of settled off at the bottom of the drop off and sat there for about five minutes you know, kind of looking at us with this kind of funny eye you know looking at us a bit a bit unhappy you know and um kind of saying what was all that about you know and then it just you know off she went and, and with that we heard this sort of the cattle grid in the car park behind us and go and um and it was this big four by four came in and this guy came out with this huge camera on his back. <laughs> and he was there, he was there to photograph the birds and he kind of rocks up and he goes, you yeah, fishing, are you? You know, it's just like, this is, this is shite weather. What are you doing? Like, you never got down. And, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I go home, I go home that night and I call my dad and, um, and I told him about it. And uh, he wrote it down on a message and, um, and he went off to dinner that night, and uh, and yeah, two days later we got the phone call that he'd passed away. You know, but when I when I went home um, to spend some time with mum and, and funeral and stuff like that, um, I found the phone message written, and it had twenty five pound pike, um, you know, mackerel dead bait, you know, and uh, yeah, and my friend who we'd seen for dinner um, had said that how uh, how proud he was because uh, that was the biggest fish that a fathom ever caught. So. The biggest pike that I've found ever caught. So, so that's that's my best fish. Well, understandable. That's a memory. Yeah. memorable fish, memorable story, memorable. <laughs> everything. 
Like, like, terrible stories. Exactly, exactly. Like, and we've got some collection of them over the last few months as well. But yeah, Gareth Fallon. Continued success with Fallon's Angler, the quarterly magazine. If anybody's interested um, in finding out more and maybe subscribing to it and per- they can purchase single issues as well, where do they go? Yeah, fallonsangler.net. Um, and it's all on there. Yeah, um, fallonsangler.net forward slash shop. And uh, you'll, you'll see it all. And you go by all means, if you want to know what we're, um, we have a YouTube channel as well under Fallon's Angler. And um, yeah, we've just got a new film out called The Lost River, which is about micro spinning for a trout on a, on a little chalk stream. Um, but, you know, that YouTube channel is a good introduction to the kind of thinking that we, uh, the kind of thinking that, that's behind who we are. Um, my picture editor, um, Nick Fallafield Cooper, who also makes our wonderful films, um, he's very much part of the team, as is Kev Parr, my deputy editor. Um, and um, Kev, you know, obviously, you know, his writing too. Um, yeah, without those two, uh, Fallon's wouldn't exist. So, um it's very much a team effort, you know. It's got my. It might have. It might have. You know. It's. I've never looked at it as really having my name on the front cover. It's really about. It's my family name. It's my uncle. It's my father. It's my grandfather. You know. Um, but um, you know, you know, Kevin Parr and McPhil Phil Cooper are you know, hugely important to it. Well, I think you know you, you described it as the soul of angling, um, and I think if anything, your life and what your dad passed on to you as well is I think very much summed up by that as well. You know. In terms of um, you know, angling as a journey, you know, throughout life. So, continued success, and, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, lads. Our thanks to Garrett Fallon for joining us on the show, and don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.